Oh my god, they're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog. He's got them shifty eyes. It was that convict iron jaw, that rapscallion. I bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. That way. Blank is the killer. Hello and welcome to Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast where I, your meddling host, Josh Baker, usually cover six new-to-me horror movies with a spooky topic seven at the end. This is going to be different. This episode contains Scooby, Doobie, and Do. Hop into this funkadelic van as I blabber on about a gang of mystery-solving detectives. Number one, Scooby-Doo and the Ghoul School, 1988, directed by Charles A. Nichols. Scooby and Shaggy start new jobs as volleyball coaches for a ghoul school. They help the students win the big game, then have to save them from a terrible witch named Revolta. No one is the killer. When I was a young boy, I watched a lot of Scooby-Doo media. Ghoul School is a movie I have fond memories of watching. It's fangtastic, a word that the vampire character Sibella says at least ten times. Do her additions of Fang and Bat in almost all of her sentences ever get old? Of course not. Fangtastic is always delightful. At one point, her pops Dracula shows up, and he doesn't use Fangtastic even once. Maybe it's only popular amongst the younger vampires. Before this Fangtastic tangent, I was going to say Ghoul School is Fangtastic until it's bad. To be clear, I mean it's fantastic until it's bad. Shaggy and Scooby teaching the girls everything but how to play volleyball is a ton of fun. Why these two goofballs that were hired as coaches don't train the girls with the particular skills needed to win the volleyball game is confusing, but the ghouls end up winning anyway since puny human cadets can't compete with their power without cheating. Yeah, those scummy little humans attempt to use a radio-controlled volleyball, which works out alright for them, until Scooby-Doo accidentally eats the remote thinking it's a hot dog. Everything leading up to the big game and the event itself is a good time. The movie really should have ended after the parents show up. Speaking of the parents, one of the ghouls gives her dad a juicer that looks and technically functions as a small Iron Maiden. It's really cool and I've always wanted one. I doubt it would be a practical juicer, but it would be a great conversation piece. What part of the movie is revolting? All the parts with Revolta, the Swamp Witch. She wants to kidnap the kids and turn them evil to get back at their parents. Hey Revolta, even if you ended up succeeding with your Garbo plan, Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, the werewolf, the mummy, and the ghost man would have destroyed you for it. I almost forgot to mention that there's a little dragon named Matches that's constantly spitting fire at everyone. Matches is a great name for a pet. Oh, and the teacher, Miss Grimwood, looks like Liza Minnelli. Should you check out Scooby-Doo and the Ghoul School if you have zero nostalgia for it? Um, uh, maybe? I can recommend watching it until the parents leave. Bail before it gets revolting. 
Somehow I didn't even mention Scrappy-Doo is in the movie. That's how pointless and stupid that character is. Number 2, Scooby-Doo and the Reluctant Werewolf, 1988, directed by Ray Patterson. Since Dracula needs a werewolf to participate in the big monster race, he has the hunch bunch turn Shaggy into one, then forces him to enter. Shaggy wins the race and turns back into a regular Joe. No one is the killer. It's wacky racers, but with Scooby and Shaggy. That's fun, right? It's definitely entertaining to watch Shaggy and Scooby have to deal with the hunch bunch's traps the first couple times. Then it just keeps happening ad infinitum. That's not technically true seeing as Shaggy eventually wins the race and escapes from Dracula, but boy oh boy do the traps start coming and they don't stop coming. At least 80% of the runtime is made up of the Hunch Bunch's multiple failed attempts to stop Shaggy and Scooby. Shaggy and Scooby are in first place. Hunch Punch tries something stupid. Shaggy and Scooby deal with the problem. The rest of the monsters are affected by it, giving Shaggy and Scooby even more of a lead. After the sixth failed attempt, I literally started dozing off. Dracula is constantly annoying. He's just a mean jerk face. This isn't even Sabella's dad, who's obviously the real Dracula. This is some reject Dracula. He's a complete ass to Vanna Pyra. That's a fun name. There's a part where she's in charge of color commentary, so she just starts listing colors, which is funny. She's great and so are the villagers that are forced to watch the race. Most of their reactions are just a sad, yay. Shaggy has a girlfriend named Googie. Her name is Googie. Googie. The biggest issue with Reluctant Werewolf is its repetitive nature. Instead of spending so much time with Dracula and the Hunch Bunch, way more time should have been given to the other monsters. They have little parts here and there, but they are definitely underutilized. For some reason, the witches lose their clothes multiple times in the movie. Don't worry, they are never completely naked. They end up stripped down to old-timey undergarments. I'm only mentioning it because it happens twice. I could overlook it if it was one-time goof, but someone thought witches in old-timey undergarments was funny enough to do a second time. Reluctant Werewolf would work if it was only the length of a TV episode. At feature length, it's a slog. Kid Me loved this movie. Stupid, easily entertained by repetitive beats, Kid Me. Don't bother with this one. Nostalgia didn't even help. Somehow I didn't even mention Scrappy-Doo is in this movie. That's how pointless and stupid that character is. Number 3, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, 1998, directed by Jim Stenstrom. The gang is looking for actual hauntings. A girl named Lena takes them to a mansion on Moonscar Island that's owned by Simone. There, they encounter zombies and realize Simone, Lena, and the ferryman Jock are cat people. The cat people don't suck out the gang's life essence in time and die. The zombies are laid to rest. Morgan Moonscar, his band of pirates, Lena, Simone, and Jacques are the killers. Morgan Moonscar and his pirate buddies fed a bunch of people to alligators. That's pretty dark for Scooby-Doo. Zombie Island isn't the first piece of Scooby-Doo media to have real monsters, but it's the first where the monsters are actually trying to kill the gang. I could be wrong though, there's a lot of Scooby-Doo I haven't seen. From what I have seen, all the other real monsters that even attempt to harm the gang are goofy screw-ups. Zombie Island is amazing. It's got zombies, cat people, the gang, and gumbo. It's the movie that made me really want to try gumbo. You know how Milk had that whole 
Got Milk ad campaign. Scooby-Doo Zombie Island might as well be an ad for gumbo and hot peppers. I wish it was as fun to eat hot peppers as Scooby and Shaggy make it look. There are two quotes that I regularly reference from this movie. The first being an amazing comeback from Shaggy and Scooby's boss. In the beginning of the movie, Shaggy and Scooby eat a bunch of contraband food they found as TSA agents. Their boss gets upset about the food being eaten. Shaggy informs the boss men that there are a couple of Gorgonzolas left, which leaves Shaggy and Scooby open for this devastating comeback. The boss says the following. <clears throat> You're a couple of Gorgonzolas. Oof. Ouch. That's brutal. Shaggy and Scooby are never coming back from that one. The other quote is, Cut, who opened a window? Which Daphne shouts after Morgan Moonscar's pirate ghost makes everything all chilly when he carves Get Out into the wall. My favorite character in Zombie Island is Jock, the ferryman. He has the most ridiculously over-the-top Creole accent you'll ever hear. Everything he says is fantastic. There's another character that's barely memorable named Snakebite who's voiced by Mark Hamill. Why'd they have Mark Hamill play that guy? Tara Strong had a bigger role as Lena and Adrian Barbeau played Simone. Cassie Kasem was going to play Shaggy, but he had gone vegan. He wanted Shaggy to follow suit, which was obviously a no-go, so they got Billy West instead. The only original cast member to voice a character was Frank Welker as Fred. When you're in a rock band, how do you know that you've made it? When you sell a bunch of records? Sell out a bunch of shows? <laughs> nope. Don't be ridiculous. There's only one true metric to measure whether or not you've made it. Have you covered the Scooby-Doo theme for an official piece of Scooby-Doo media? Third Eye Blind did for Zombie Island. Congrats, Third Eye Blind. You made it. The theme is far from the best song in Zombie Island, which also includes The Ghost Is Here and It's Terror Time Again. How neither song was nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Song is a tragedy and an obvious blight on the Academy. Another thing that your ears will dig in Zombie Island is the sound effect used for the ghost energy. It sounds similar to the ghost sounds used in the 13 Ghost remake. If it was created in the same manner, it was done using reverse reverb. A cool thing to note about Zombie Island is the fact that it was animated by a Japanese studio. If you look for it, you can spot a lot of anime influence. Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island is the best animated Scooby-Doo movie out there. You should definitely check it out if you haven't already. Beware, there was recently a sequel. Make sure you don't watch that. It's obvious that it's trash from the trailer alone. Number 4, Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost, 1999, directed by Jim Stenstrom. The gang accompany a writer named Ben Ravencroft to his hometown Oak Haven, Massachusetts. The ghost of his witch ancestor is terrorizing the town. The gang figures out that the witch's ghost was a hoax put on by the townspeople to increase tourism. Ben finds his ancestor Sarah's actual journal, which is really a spellbook. She was an evil witch. Ben releases her. Thorn, a pagan member of a local band called the Hex Girls, reads a spell in the book, which once again imprisons Sarah, who takes Ben with her. No one is the killer. 
Witch's Ghost was released following the success of Zombie Island. Is it as good? No. But Zombie Island was lightning in a bottle. That being said, Witch's Ghost is still a solid entry in the Scooby-Doo universe. Tim Curry plays the Stephen King-inspired villain Ben Ravencroft. It debuted the Hex Girls, who are a band of witches, even though they look more like vampires and don't know that wind and air are the same thing. Seriously, they have a song that goes, Earth, wind, fire, and air. We may look bad, but we don't care. Wind and air are practically the same, Hex Girls. You could put on your pedantic pants and argue that they are technically different, but in the context of the song, they are the same thing. Imagine Avatar The Last Airbender having the Air Nomads and the Wind Monks. Even though the lyrics are a little whack, Earth, Wind, Fire, and Air, geez, the screw-up is even in the song title, and Hex Girl are bangers. Jennifer Hale played Thorn. She also voiced Commander Shepard in Mass Effect. Her voice credits are impressive. The Hex Girls pop up in other Scooby-Doo stuff, but I haven't seen any of the other media with them in it at this time. Whoever was in charge of finding out what Wiccans are didn't do the best job. Anyone can become a Wiccan. It's not a blood thing like Witch's Ghost suggests. Like Jacques in Zombie Island, Witch's Ghost also includes a character with a wacky over-the-top accent. This time the character is the mayor. His accent is a mix between transatlantic and old man down by the docks. The anime influence is even easier to spot this time around. Which rocker gets to prove that he made it by singing the Scooby-Doo theme this time around? None other than Mr. Achy Breaky Heart himself, Billy Ray Cyrus. Congrats, Mr. Cyrus. Since a lot of the team from Zombie Island created Witch's Ghost, why wasn't it as good? Studio Interference. Warner Brothers didn't allow the team the same creative freedom that spawned Zombie Island. If the team was allowed to continue making their darker takes on Scooby-Doo, there probably would have been a string of critically acclaimed movies. Unfortunately, Witch's Ghost is the last decent one. I can't say all the movies that came after Witch's Ghost are bad, seeing as there are over 30 movies released after that that I haven't seen. It's possible that there are some diamonds in the rough. I can confirm Alien Invaders, Cyber Chase, and Happy Halloween Scooby-Doo are not great. Turns out they're making a Scooby-Doo and Courage the Cowardly Dog movie. I do love me some courage. Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost is a great movie to double feature with Zombie Island. It's not as good, but it's still an entertaining time. Number 5, Scooby-Doo, 2002, directed by Raja Gosnell. The gang have split up. They are invited individually to Spooky Island to solve a mystery. They figure out that strange creatures are possessing people's bodies. The mastermind behind the operation is revealed to be a disgruntled Scrappy-Doo. Scrappy's defeated, and the gang is back together again. No one is the killer. Is it possible to jump from animation to live action successfully? Yes, Scooby-Doo is proof. Why does it work? It keeps enough of the source material while also being its own goofy thing. Let's talk about the CGI in the room. It's not amazing. It's not great. Scooby-Doo holds up a tiny bit. 
The worst CGI by far is the monsters and jacked Scrappy. Since Scooby looks so much better, it must be a texturing thing, seeing as he's got a nice fur coat, and the monsters are kind of like liver-spotted naked mole rats with bunny ears. The design for the monsters is peculiar. It's puzzling that psychotic shaved Easter bunny ended up being the chosen design. Scooby-Doo is a blast. Is it a blast because of the nostalgia factor? Would people that have never watched any Scooby-Doo related media dig it? Who knows? It would be an interesting experiment to watch the movie with a grown person who's never really gotten into Scooby-Doo and watch their reaction to it. Would the joke that makes it look like Scooby and Shaggy are smoking weed be funny to someone who didn't grow up with the characters? It's hard to say. Matthew Lillard is fantastic as Shaggy. Linda Cardellini is perfect as Velma. Freddie Prince Jr. works as Fred. Even though she's great in everything else and ends up working well enough as Daphne, the choice to cast Sarah Michelle Gellar is an odd one. Since she was filming Buffy at the time, she had to wear a wig, which was barely red. She should have had a big red Dolly Parton-esque wig. It could be said that Geller doesn't really capture the Daphne demeanor, but then again, what is there to capture? Fred and Daphne don't have iconic personalities like the other members in the gang. Isla Fisher, a natural redhead, had her hair dyed blonde to play Shaggy's love interest, Mary Jane. Get it? Weed. Isla seems like a perfect fit for Daphne. Turns out she was the runner-up. Sarah Michelle Gellar was and is a much bigger name, so her being chosen makes sense from a marketing perspective. The director also wanted an actual couple to play Fred and Daphne for some reason. Like almost all other Scooby-Doo media, there are some great quotes that will live in the brains of people that soak up dumb references forever. The main ones being when Scooby gets a phone call that lures him into a trap by saying, I've got a bag of uh, hamburgers for you. All you have to do is to come out into the dark shadowy part of the woods where no one can see you. And possessed Fred greeting Shaggy and Scooby by saying, What's up, dog? And, uh, dog? If you need a band to get possessed in your movie, who do you get? Sugar Ray, of course. Scooby and Shaggy are attacked by Mark McGrath. And they don't even yell his band name with Ray replaced with a rhyming word. On the subject of bands, the soundtrack is jam-packed. Besides Sugar Ray, there's Simple Plan, Little Romeo, Outcast, Uncle Cracker, and the Beach Boys. Which musician finally makes it? Shaggy. Not Norville Rogers, Orville Richard Burl. Wait a second, you're telling me that Scooby-Doo Shaggy's first name is Norville, and Jamaican reggae musician Shaggy's first name is Orville? Did he start calling himself Shaggy because of the similarity? I can't find the origin of his name. Google has failed me. The live-action Scooby-Doo has some of the most over-the-top bananas production design you'll ever see. Crazy costumes and wacky sets litter the entire movie. The design doesn't scream cartoon, but it does make everything feel otherworldly and surreal. The live-action Scooby-Doo movie is an incredibly goofy fun time. The movie is chock-full of wacky goodness. Check it out. And oh yeah, James Gunn wrote it. It was originally going to be a lot raunchier. Number 6, Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed, 2004, directed by Raja Gosnell. 
Someone is stealing the costumes of people the gang unmasked in the past and is turning them into actual monsters. The gang figures out that the original pterodactyl ghost, Jacobo, is the culprit. No one is the killer. When a live-action Scooby-Doo movie is inexplicably successful, a follow-up must be made. That's why Monsters Unleashed exists. Unlike its predecessor, Monsters Unleashed doesn't feel like a wacky, thriving world. It feels claustrophobic. A lot more of the backdrops are obviously CGI. Unlike how popular songs were woven perfectly into the original, the soundtrack is overbearing. Songs are played one after the other with barely any time in between. There's a five minute stretch where three songs are played back to back. It is delightful to see a bunch of the show's old monster suits turned into actual live action costumes. It's less exciting to see those costumes turned into crappy looking living monsters. Out of all the costumes that are turned into real monsters, the only ones that end up looking decent are the Black Knight Ghost, Minor 49er, and Captain Cutler. The rest of the monsters suffer from bad CGI and design. It would have been nice to see more iconic monsters brought to life instead of the Skeleton Men, Pterodactyl Ghost, and the Tar Monster. Better costumes are shown in the museum. Space Kook is much better than the Skeleton Men whose time on screen is frequent and groan-inducing. The design for the villain is terrible. It looks like a bad take on the idea of Mecha Mozart. Mecha Mozart could definitely be a cool design, but it isn't a good look in Monsters Unleashed. Even though the sequel doesn't hold a candle to the original, it still has some solid jokes and some of the interior sets are fun, like the bar where all the people that have been stopped by the Scooby gang hang out at. Should you drop everything you're doing and check out this sequel? Nope. Should you consider watching Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed if you have recently watched and enjoyed the first movie? Sure. Oh, and congrats to MXPX for finally making it. They did the theme. Number 7, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, 2010-2013, created by Joe Ruby and Ken Spears. Another day, another take on Scooby-Doo. I haven't watched a ton of Mystery Incorporated, but I can still give a brief section of thoughts on it. It's fun. Fred is obsessed with traps, which is kind of stupid. It's weird that Velma and Shaggy are kind of a thing. It's hilarious and sad when the culprit behind a bank heist in the first episode is a teacher. The gang asks him why he needs to rob a bank if he already has a job as a teacher. We really don't pay teachers enough. It's ridiculous and goofy that the second episode takes place in a town that completely relied on gators. Unfortunately, the gator mines dried up, leading a small family to start selling counterfeit gator products. I'll keep watching the show. It's a good time. I don't really have much else to say about it since I've only seen three episodes, but I'm having some fun. That's a wrap on Blank is the Killer. Do, Scooby, Doobie, and Do. If you like this episode, consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes. A real episode will still be released this Sunday. Until then, make sure there are no meddling kids around when planning a scheme.